Hello and welcome to this week's episode. We have an awesome one with Dr. Jody Carrington, who is a renowned psychologist sought after for expertise, energy, and approach to helping people solve their most complex human-centered challenges. Jody focuses much of her work around reconnection, the key to healthy relationships, and productive teams. A speaker, author, and leader of Carrington and Company, she uses all she has been taught in her 20-year career as a psychologist to empower everyone she connects with. Jody has worked with kids, families, business leaders, first responders, teachers, farmers, and has spoken in church basements and world-class stages. The message remains the same. Our power lies in our ability to acknowledge each other first. With a PhD in clinical psychology, work with major institutions and thriving clinical practice, she brings a depth of experience and insight that is unmatched in the industry. Jody lives in a small town, Olds, Alberta, with her husband and three children. She has three kids two years to test her own resilience and leads the amazing team at Carrington and Company. This was such a fun conversation, all about how to reconnect with others and in turn connect with ourselves. Let's get right into it. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Dude Therapist. We have Dr. Jody Carrington on, who is a, a masterclass in just authenticity and just really being so open and real about mental health and has so much knowledge to offer. And I don't want to like take away from her own description. So Jody, can you introduce yourself before we get into the conversation? Oh, I'd love to. All right. I'm coming to you from Canada. And uh, listen, I grew up in a small town in Canada uh, called Viking, Alberta. And I have to talk about the start of this. So I'm a, a clinical psychologist now by training. Uh, I speak and I've wrote a couple of books and uh, I have my practice here in a little town still in, in Alberta, but it really all started on the premise of relationships. And so I, you know, I, I, the quintessential small town where there's 22 of us that started kindergarten together and the same 19 of us graduated together. Uh, I can tell you the first and last name of every teacher I had. And uh, it was actually a, an experience with, with an educator, a teacher that really reminded me that we were never meant to do any of this alone. We had, um, I remember, I, I have no idea what this teacher taught me, but I remember where she was standing and what she was wearing the day one of those 22 kids in our class ha- had been killed. And I remember, I remember so much, like I even, this is how creepy it is. I remember how she smelled. Okay. Um, wild musk from the, the local IDA uh, pharmacy that I bought for the rest of my days. Cause I wanted so much to envelop who this woman was, not because of what she taught me, but because of the way that she made us feel. And it was the first, I think, visceral experience of really what it meant to be connected to a group, to a community, to a person Mm -hmm. that left me wanting to be more like that. Mm -hmm. And now fast forward 25 years later, um, it is basically the premise of everything I speak about as a psychologist is that, you know, you can't tell people how to be kind or anti-racist or inclusive or empathic. You have to show them. And so much about what we need in this world right now really comes back to how you make other people feel in your presence. Mm -hmm. And that's becoming increasingly difficult because we've never been this disconnected. And the problem is we're wired for it. Yeah. And we'll get into the disconnect in a second. And how has your journey been being a psychologist? Like, why, why that direction versus any other direction of mental health? 
You know, it's interesting. My own story is such that, um, you know, my my parents um, were, were I'm, I'm this privileged white kid, straight, able-bodied, all of those things. And I try to remember that all the time. One of the biggest parts of my story is that my dad and my mom had a baby that they didn't tell anybody about. Mm-hmm. And um, my sister, uh, we met, I met when I was 38 years old, so my full biological sister. Wow. Um, and it was a secret the two of them kept. And this really sort of the epitome of disconnect in our family. And it was something that I never knew about this mom and this dad who I was very connected to my whole life. And then when my sister shows up in like the garage, like a puppy, uh, when I was 36 years old, um, it has been this beautiful journey of, wow, huh. Maybe this has something to do with me always wanting to make people laugh and reconnect and, you know, put pieces back together. And, um, it's, it's just been such a joy for me. I started out, you know, really wanting to do police psychology work. I love trauma makes me super popular at parties. Well, I, love but I, really, that. <laughs> I love I, that you said that because only therapists understand, like, I love trauma. Like it's a weird I, thing I know, to say. I know. The therapist, I the therapist, I, I'm also trauma specialized. And I'm like, I love that. I love, I love that you said that. It makes you, it's your part. What's your party trick? I love trauma. <laughs> I know exactly. And it's such a good opener. You know, people are like, let's sit by her. But I, um, but I really, I really fell in love with my first job. I worked a lot with police officers and, you know, just really understanding that anxiety and depression and, you know, big emotions won't kill you, but not talking about it might. Yeah. And when we put that into the context of many organizations these days, there is no place to put that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, far more with men or those who identify as men versus women, just because of historically, that's how we are still, we interact with our children um, in very gender specific roles. And I, and I find that fascinating. I find highest rate of suicide in our respective countries as middle-aged men. Why is that? Um, you know, lots of conversations around the disconnect that then COVID has perpetuated. And I, I was concerned about the mental health crisis prior to to covid and it's fascinating i think that as depressing as this may sound i think we're stepping into the hardest seasons of our careers i think that you know we were at the scene of the accident for for two and a half years when everybody is in a heightened state of arousal and now what we'll see is the, the fallout from that which is sad and lonely and disconnected which really turns into mad because mad is sad's bodyguard and everybody's chippy everybody's chippy. And so we, we need to connect and now we just want to throw punch each other. So it's making it a bit tricky. You see? So I, I think that's, that's the, the conundrum that we're in. I think we've lost proximity to each other in the last two generations alone. If I think about the square footage of the house, you know, that my father was raised in and the square footage of the house in which we're raising our babies. You know, I, I have a set of twins who are nine and a 12 year old. And, you know, I, I, I preach the power of connection and how you should really stay connected to your kids. And I have a best selling book about, you know, parenting and kids. And if you watch me with my own children, you wouldn't buy the book, but um, <laughs> it was supper time. And I was yelling at Asher who was in the basement and, and then he didn't answer. So I texted him. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I couldn't go down. I didn't, it wasn't even words. I used emojis. There's a plate of pasta and then a glass of wine because his mother's already into it. And then a fast guy running. I was like, get your ass up here. Right? <laughs> what is even? So I, I get how in this season of disconnect, it is going to be a conscious reckoning, an on purpose shift back to looking and seeing each other again. Yeah. And then the funny thing is, I remember when cell phones started coming out, I was in high school. Yeah. And I remember the talks of you know leaders of the world like be careful don't lose yourself and 
and we were became so consumed with like the it was the Motorola Razor and uh, the BlackBerry and then now the iPhone of course, and and I don't know at this point what the question I have is I don't know what the the issue is anymore. Is it the cell phone or is it our brains? Mm. Is it us? Because is it really this 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 thing that's disconnecting us, or is it trained us to be something else that we want can't get out of? I have the answer. Do you want it? Of course. Okay. Here's what's interesting to me. We are wired for connection. In fact, biologically, if you disconnect from an infant, you die. Okay. So you know this about your babe. And when they get emotionally dysregulated, they are required. Somebody has to walk them home. So it's a, that's a Ram Das quote. He said, we're all just here walking each other home. It's mm. one of my favorites. It, it hangs over my shoulder in my office. Cause I have to remember it every day. And it's interesting if, if a child is surrounded by enough healthy walkers, they learn how to regulate emotion themselves. They use their words and they stay calm in times of distress. If they're not surrounded by healthy people for whatever reason, because of anxiety or depression or trauma or addiction or whatever the issue is, they stay emotionally dysregulated. They only come into this world of fight, flight, and freeze. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so our job is really around this place of, of, showing each other how to do it. You can't tell somebody to calm down. It's more, much more effective if you are losing your mind. If I say, okay, 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 okay. Right. I show you, I walk you home. Now in this really messed up sense of irony, this twist of irony that always gets me as a psychologist, despite the fact that we're wired for it, despite the fact that the healthiest among us are the most connected, the hardest thing we will do is look into the eyes of the people we love. Mm-hmm. Like who made that rule? That's dumb. And so two, two generations ago, we had far less options to disconnect, right? Yeah. My, my, my father grew up in a one bedroom house Yeah. and he slept on the floor every night with his three brothers. Yeah. You had to roll your bed up and, you know, and my grandparents would play cribbage every night. Yeah. Huh? What happens when you play cards with somebody? You, I mean, you end up throw punching or like, you know, or, yeah. or just being, Hey, don't be a cheater. Yeah. But the thing is we're watching Yeah. now. If it remains the hardest thing, there's a, there's Anon has done this, this um, research originating in, in Singapore called the four minutes of connection. And he's asked people across the globe. The only instruction in this research protocol is just sit down and look at somebody you love for four minutes and watch mm-hmm. what happens. And it is remarkably painfully difficult for people who have procreated who have lived together their whole lives, who have worked together, who have played on sports teams together to just simply look at each other. Yeah. Because in the first 30 seconds, the research is fairly um, um, repeatable. When people do this in the first 30 seconds, they're like, yeah. oh my God, this is a, right. It's, it's uncomfortable. And it is so interesting to me that, that that is what we require the most. So when exit ramps are provided, technological advances that have come so far that have been such a gift to humanity in terms of medical advancements and staying connected over COVID or you and I being able to do this, it's not the problem. It's beautiful. It's how we use them that is the issue. And the more I feel unworthy, the less I'm going to look. And the more I have an option to look away, I'll take it because I feel unworthy. Mm-hmm. And it's this perpetual cycle of disconnect that has allowed us, you know, how many times, I don't know if you, our kids play up here in Canada, hockey, all the, this is our big sport for us. And I watch people sort of walk into the dressing room and this, this will apply to baseball or a, fo- a soccer pitch or whatever. And if moms or dads are uncomfortable, they don't have anything to do. Or if you ever get into an elevator with somebody, right? I mean, I've caught my husband many times. He's not doing, he's not looking, there's a home screen. And he's pretending. 
Because we're much more comfortable not having to look and see. And so if you think about what our babies then are experiencing in this moment, you know, with Snapchat and, you know, they have instant access to what their friends are doing, but there's no requirement to interact or respond to it. It's just busting their souls when they're best, they're not included in a bestie selfie or when they look on a snap map and somebody is there and they're not, or, Mm -hmm. I mean, this happens to big people. We get inundated all the time by social media, which is not social. It's very curated. You follow who you like or who you want to be like. And Mm -hmm. typically it's, it's a curated version that nobody's going to reach. Everybody appears to be happy. You and I can talk about this as therapists. Nope. I don't know anybody who's happy. No, I don't know a single person who wakes up in the morning and be like, holy shit. I'm so happy. I just love my husband. I love, I hope this is what a 47 year old body would look like. I'm just so happy with my parenting. No, what we're seeking is joy. Those bursts of feelings. And when we can hang on to those, and curate those, we become happier people, more regulated in our lives. Mm-hmm. But how we do that is we were never meant to do that alone. Yeah. So how do we on purpose get back in this process? That's my take. What do you think Ooh. of that? I love that. You know, and just on the idea of joy, I heard something that I've been, I've been pushing in, in my clients that are struggling with happiness and joy, which is a lot of them right now right. Um, is like the, I don't know if you're a fan of um, jelly beans, um, or like any candy, right? There's any certain candy. flavors that you like versus the other. And you have a whole container of a mixed bag of, let's say, the black licorice versus the cherry flavor, right? One of my clients is like, oh, I love black licorice flavor. I went, what? Um, <laughs> and uh, and you're like searching in the jar to get those like moments of like, ooh, my favorite flavor, yummy. And then sometimes you get the, the crappy black licorice and you're like, oh, man. And that's like the balance of life is to find and search for joy and search for those like moments. But I think the hard part is, is that I think with back to your point with technology, it's such an easy thing to do because we're always on it. And we always have an excuse or reason for me. It's like, Oh, my business is on it. Oh, I'm posting on social media. Oh, I'm getting another podcast guest. Oh, I have a potential client. Oh, you know, and you know, it's funny, you know, who's kind of smacked me around about it. My three-year-old. Yes. She said to me, she goes, daddy, put your phone down. We're playing. And I go, oh yeah, sorry, Rickster. You're right. You're right. Sorry. And I put my phone farther away from me because honestly, it can wait. There's nothing really that important, an emergency that needs to happen. And if there is, I'll deal with it later. And you know, and you know, what's interesting about this is I actually feel more confident at work than I do as a parent. And so when I'm feeling disconnected, when I'm feeling like I'm not, you know, doing great at things, I mean, this is typically the age old problem. You, you sink into the place you feel most competent. And when we have so many easily accessible resources to just check our emails or, Oh, there's a ding. Oh, I know how to handle that. I don't Mm -hmm. know how to handle, you know, my nine-year-old who's just like, he slapped me. Why are you leaving on another trip? Mommy kids these days is a lie. You don't, that she, what she said the other day when we were out at the playground, it was so grateful as a child psychologist, as I stood there and said, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. I'll be here all week. Yeah. 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 She's getting the car, you know, (laughs) but I think, I think it's like, I, I really think that oftentimes you get those hits of dopamine when you sort of check in with your clients or everybody else's sort of stuff that's going on. Yeah. 
And it's so much easier to tell people how to do it than it is to do it ourselves. Yeah. And, and I think that's part of our struggle or it's my, for sure, as, as a psychologist is really like really recognizing how hard it is to sort of what I ask my clients to do every day, because all of us are in it. Yeah. Some days we're so good at sinking in. The other thing that I want to, I'd love your opinion on. So I read this book not very long ago called No Bad Parts. And I think we put I just ordered it. Schwartz. I just okay. ordered it. It's in the mail coming tomorrow. Can you, you're going to, I want to hear what you think because we put a high emphasis on that thing, joy. Yeah. And we're always like, let's, you know, try to avoid all the bad stuff. There's even, you know, sort of like um, Susan David talks about toxic positivity because yeah. we're always trying to just fix shit. Like it's good. It's good. We're fine. It's good. Yeah. Everything's good. We're not, we're not good. Yeah. And there's such an emphasis on finding joy that I think we miss that, you know, sadness and emotion and grief and despair of all of those sort of that whole gamut is also not bad. Yeah. Your disconnect and your grief. And so it makes it something we want to try to avoid when really we are so much more whole when we just sink in to all of those emotions, when we just allow it to be seen. And I often say this, you know, I wrote this a little bit in, in the next book about, you know, some of my most successful moments with clients is when they're like, I just have this big lump in my chest or I have this big thing on my shoulders. And so instead of historically how I was trained is like, let's try to get rid of that. Let's do relaxation. Let's try yeah. to do this thing. What if we welcome it? Yeah. Tell me what shape it is. Tell me what yeah. color it is. How long has it been there? How about we just sort of even think about it for a second and say, come on in. Yeah. I'm glad you're here. Yeah. Right. What happens to it? Well, remarkably, every time it shrinks. Yeah. Or it dissipates. It just, it was there to protect you for such a period of time. And I just love uh, indigenous people in, in um, my country often talk about legacy burdens, that you are born with the legacy, um, the, the pain that is the legacy of your ancestors. Mm -hmm. And and Schwartz's idea of no bad parts is very similar to that. How do we carry some of those things yeah. that just sort of come in our hearts that we're not even consciously aware of, yeah. but then sometimes kick us around. And I just, I love that stuff. Yeah. And, and for me, you know, when I work with people, especially with feeling either as parents and relationships, um, especially relationships. And there are people in my own life that wait till the last minute to accept their dark, bad, you know, whatever word that they use describing their emotions. And then it just, they, it just implodes mm -hmm. and they're so afraid to cry or so afraid to just express it or so, um, difficult for them to do it because they don't, they want to be happy. They want to be good. They want to be, you know, insert your positive word there that you feel is so important as an ideal of life. But you're doing such, not just a disservice, you're doing such a harm to yourself because it's all of you. It's literally yeah. all of you. Your brain is complex. It has all emotions, not just the happy ones, not just the positive ones, not just the, and something that I know I've worked on as a parent and I have, my wife and I have worked on together as a team because, you know, we have a three-year-old, Ricky, we call her the Rickster. I call her the Rickster. Um, and uh, my son is six months old. His name is Max. And, uh, and our big thing is that we can have two feelings at the same time. Yeah. Like I can feel really positive about my parenting and also feel like a piece of crap because I'm not doing a good job. And it doesn't mean and they don't have to take away from each other or dismiss each other. It's a very DBT, you know, this and that thought process. But in the end... It's, it's when we pick and choose what we, and we evaluate that good versus bad, that's based on how it's been labeled in the past or how we have been defined ourselves. 
how, how we define our bodies, how we look at our, our actions, our success, our, you know, money, house, uh, family, parenting. It's so complex. And I think one of the biggest things that you talk about, the idea of reconnecting by disconnecting sometimes or disconnect, right, which I think is so important. One of the things that really hits home with me is that I'm an Orthodox Jew and synagogue and community is something other than all the other stuff that people might think about Jews or any religion. Put that aside for a second. The simplicity of having a community that you go to weekly, friends and family, holidays. I mean, I have Sabbath every week where I don't use technology. Yeah. I don't actively. So we have timers. We have light set. The whole thing is all set up beforehand. We have a whole system. Like we don't, we sit and have meals and we play games and we talk and we, we read and we, you know, that's a weekly thing. And, and, and then when it comes to holidays, I don't know about you. I grew up in a home that valued dinner together. Yes. Waited for my father to come home to have dinner. Yeah. I remember going to camp one summer and I was talking or no, it was, uh, I was studying abroad after high school and I said something like, oh yeah, you know, I ate dinner with my family every night. And they're like, what's wrong with you? (laughs) <laughs> Who does that? Crazy people do that. You must be insane. And, I, and it's a value for me because I was able to connect with my family every night and as a check-in to know that we had support at the end of the day, whether they meant to do that or not, or whatever it was, that was their value system. My grandparents did the same thing. Yeah. And their and parents did the same thing. For sure. And so when we think about right now in, in, in so many of, you know, our, your listeners, so many of the people that we, that we know that we may become, like when we think about single parent households, when we think about kids, you know, 50 to 60% of kids will be involved in a process where, you know, they're, they're switching between households when there's, you know, people can't afford to do that because they have jobs or they, you know, they can't sit down together in the same place or technological advances just make it so difficult for, to get everybody, you just give up. And it's like, you know what? fine. I'm too tired to, I'm going to sit here. You know, it's just sort of that ideal becomes so tricky. And then our, our failure in upholding that ideal, um, also then beats the ever living heck out of us, I think as well. Right. And I think regardless, I mean, I would agree with you, organized religion gets all the, the lots of conversations about that. I think what transcends age, race, religion, socioeconomic status, gender identity, um, ability really, comes down to this idea that we all just want to be seen that we all just want to know we matter. And that oftentimes it requires a face-to-face connection, a physical proximity to another, maybe not eye contact specifically, but being seen as a feeling. And it is something that you can, you just know it when you get it. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is the thing, you know, and, and it's so easy. I want you to think about this. Like I, I wave like I'm drunk at the stoplight and stop sign in my community every day. And it changes lives. Yeah. It's simple like that. huh? You buy coffee or a drink for somebody behind you in the lineup, at, you know, in the morning. Um, one thing, right? You give a compliment tomorrow or next week you're in, uh, you're at church or you're at synagogue or you're wherever, you're at the hockey rink and you just say to uh, um, a grandfather, hey, I was just noticing you with your grandson. He is such a cool kid. I just yeah. thought you should know. You will these days not only potentially change a life, you'll save one. Yeah. Because one out of four right now, particularly adolescents, have a plan to end theirs. Yeah. So when we think about that, the disconnection, it just really propels me to do this. The next best kind right thing. Yeah. That's all. 
and we get overwhelmed with, oh, how do we start uh, home shelter? How do we, oh yeah. my, like, you know, racism and, and, you know, like all of the, the issues, like the lack of inclusion and diversity and other things that we don't understand. Well, but like, but like small. All we got to do. Yep. Just all, that's all I want you to think. Wave like you're intoxicated at the, at the light and see what happens. Look at your spouse at the end of today and just say, I don't know if I told you this, but you matter to me. So and just watch I've, what happens. Something I've tried doing with my wife, especially since the uh, six month, you know, period of having this wonderful child who is <laughs> very challenging compared to my daughter. Yes. Every time she gets up in the middle of the night to feed him, I always say, I appreciate you. Because mm-hmm. I truly do. Right. It's a, a practice to make whether she wants to hear it, whether she agrees with it and says, shut your face. I'm so tired <laughs> or feels that it's more like I see you. And something that I learned when I was about 17, 18, I took a Dale Carnegie course, yeah. when I was 17, 18, uh, how to win friends and influence people, you know, all that kind of stuff It was provided by the school that I was going to. Uh, I said, why not? It's usually thousands of dollars and they're charging a hundred. We're doing it. Um, one of the biggest things was connecting to people in the world. Yeah. So yesterday I, uh, I have Crohn's. Um, so I went to GI doctor setting up my, my doctors out here in Vegas now that we moved. And I sat with the, uh, you know, checking out whatever you want to call it, all the paperwork and everything. And just chatted with this woman. I said, Hey, I love your necklace. Now here's the deal. It takes me no effort whatsoever to do that for somebody. And guess what? Makes them feel seen, loved, cared for, and it's actually genuine. Don't yeah. just do it. My, 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 my ability to do that, it has to be from a genuine place. It yeah. should not be fake. It should not be a lie. It should not be something that you're put, forcing. But like, hey, nice shoes. I love shoes. And I yeah. love focusing and seeing other people's clothes and shoes. So I say, hey, great sneakers. Where'd you get them? And it just starts, you can see their eyes switch. Yeah. light up. Yeah. It's so simple. Or it is so simple. Just, and, it, and it doesn't cost you anything and it can totally impact the idea that someone feels like someone's watching or caring. Yeah. Whether you're a family or a friend or anyone in your vicinity. And that means the janitor in your school. That means the secretary at an office. That means the doctor or anyone in higher positions. Anyone. It doesn't matter their status their title, how much money they make, what they look like and where they're from. It's just an easy thing. Yeah. And we were, t- it's so, so funny because it was a value that we were taught as kids to be kind and caring, hold the door open for people, say you're welcome, thank you, please. And we have to, we're trying to reteach this again to people because the past two or three years we've lost contact. Yeah, yeah, we've, 100%. We've isolated. And we have to yeah. like retrain our brain that our masks are off and I can see their face and I can see a person behind the mask if they're still wearing masks and I can look at them in a not so far distant that's six feet or 18 feet, wherever you were from and whatever rules that changed to yeah. say, Hey, you're a person, I'm a person. How are you doing today? And, and I, a, a quick adjustment to that. How are you doing? It's such a routine thing to say. People yeah. are like, Oh, I'm good. And that's it. Don't ask how you're doing. Say, how are you feeling? Mm, because yeah, that's perfect. a deeper question. Cause like, you know, if I say it's such a routine thing to say, Hey, how are you doing today? I'm good. Have a great day. Bye. Nothing happened. Yeah. Cause you don't want to, cause you know, those people who say like, they tell you actually everything they're actually doing, you run yeah. away from them and never ask them again. Right. So if you ask, how are you feeling? Oh yeah. You know, uh, you know, rough morning. Yeah. That's connection right there. 
yes. someone was yes. vulnerable with you. Yeah. Um, you know, a question that I had for you really is how, if we are so used to being disconnected, if we have become so routine in the, the patterns and behaviors to run to the exits on the highway, to not connect with our kids, to not connect with our partners when is needed and, and, and helpful and productive and, and, and all those wonderful words, how do we start? If we're so not used to it, how do we start connecting again? Yeah. I, and I think a couple of things happen for me in that process. We want it desperately. And oftentimes, I mean, A, because we're biologically wired for it, but also we feel best when we are in a regulated, connected relationship, hands down. And what happens is we get into this dance of when somebody disconnects with us, we armor up and or we protect our soul. And so then we get into the standoff with you go first, no, I go first. But do not ever anticipate that uh, or, or don't ever assume that that means there isn't a desire at some point to be seen. It, you know, relationships break down, not always they're not always right for you. Um, and when safety is an issue, all bets are off. But what I really want to be clear about is that, you know, I've assessed and treated over a thousand people in this, in, in my country and up here, and I've never met a bad person. Not one time. Hmm. I've met a lot of really disconnected, dysregulated people for good reason, right? Nobody gets the way they are without a phenomenal story behind it. And I think that knowing that for me allows me to stay in the game a little longer, especially in a time where now I think we see, you know, rates of mental health issues rise, uh, domestic violence, child abuse, all of those numbers are higher than they've been in our respective careers because of this, this high state of emotional dysregulation right now and disconnect. And so for me, it comes down to believing, knowing that fact that we are better to that we require each other. Even the biggest assholes of the world are the ones that are so broken, disconnected. Uh, it doesn't mean you should ever be treated poorly, but oftentimes this, this comes easier for me when I think about kids, right? The, the ones who need it the most are the hardest to give it to. And how do I see, particularly on the days where I'm regulated in my respecting my position of privilege to be in this place of like, okay, next best right kind thing. Mm. And it starts often if we don't try to fix and don't try to manage, if we can hold space for other people's emotion instead of really being offended out of the gate, this is the hardest task of humanity. But here's the three words that allow me to do that all the time. If I'm going to fix or get a rebuttal or not agree with somebody, I try to do this. Tell me more. Hmm. Another great book actually by Kelly Corgan is titled that way. But tell me more. And it has saved me as a wife, as a this therapist as the CEO of my company, instead of trying, okay, how about you do this or take a deep breath or you know what? You're tired. You want to see tired, <laughs> honey, right? I got puke in my bra and I don't know where the twins are. Like that is typically how our conversations go. But if, you know, if Aaron says to me, uh, you know, we've been married 13 years and he's just so tired and, you know, he's exhausted, his back hurts. What I want to say is like, okay, well then go for a run. Like, did you stretch today? Like, what did you eat today? I want to fix it versus when we hold space and collect some of that emotion uh, with the people we love or we lead or we teach, we say, tell me more. It's not that we necessarily want to know more, but sometimes it's that emotional regulation moment mm. that allows them to come into it a little bit more before we then maybe sometimes have to, to collude together to come up with a, an answer. That really warmed my heart. Mm, I, I know, like I know I need to do that better for, for my partner. 
Um, and, 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 and for, for myself also to to tell, you know, to listen to myself more as well. And it's such a simple thing. And I, I think I haven't, I haven't been doing this that long. I've been, you know, a therapist for six years. Yeah. And the thing that I learned continuously as a supervisor and educating a newer therapist than me was the idea of just sitting and being with a person to give them a person to talk to. And the more compassion and the, and this more simple, just simple, simple. And it's not about the ridiculous, you know, theories or the crazy awesome research. Sometimes it's sometimes the most simple thing that really impacts their life. And for me, one of the things that I've actively been trying to do is that when my children specifically, my six month old can't really talk. Um, thank God. That'd be really freaky if he was six months old and saying like, Hey, he's probably probably pretty good. Oh, he's, he's, he's babbling. He's screaming. (laughs) Adorable. I'm making like such cute noises. But my daughter who's three, like my best bud, when she asks to spend time with me, right. I actively make sure that I don't have anything to make, I, I just try my best to keep it simple and just sit with her and play on her terms yeah. because those are the things that create that connection and atmosphere that we have love and affection and that person in her life. It's why I love doing bedtime. I yeah. love doing bedtime with my daughter yeah. because it's quiet. It's just the two of us. It's cuddling, it's snuggling, it's kisses, it's yumminess. And I got nowhere to go. Yeah. Yeah. And and we're so used to going and going and just doing and doing that we forget to stop and just keep it simple. Well, and I think those are probably I remember like really specific moments um, of relief in my career as a therapist where, you know, I, I had everything planned in in our early sessions. And I think this is really, you know, so much about the developmental growth of being a therapist is that, you know, you review the file, you have the handouts, I have three resources, I, I'm ready because I think this guy's going to have an anxiety disorder. So I'm super ready for like all the different components in the V codes that I could probably yeah. add. And I've read the DSM 67 times and then they come in and that's what you're they have grief. What? Shit. I don't have a handout for that. And so what we miss is, is the being in the moment and just allowing them to feel seen. And so I, I, I remember, I think some of the most remarkable moments is when I was like, I actually don't have to do anything. Yeah. I don't, I don't have what and how freeing that is because particularly if we are hired to do a job or we are connected to the people we love, when they're hurting, we want to fix it. Mm. When they're hurting, we think we're required to. And sometimes Mm. we are put in that position to sort of get them through it. But Mm. what's really remarkable to me. And, you know, again, if we want to talk about our four fathers of psychology have have been very clear on the fact that 80% of any therapeutic change comes down to not the intervention you use, but the relationship that's established between Mm -hmm. two people to create a place for vulnerability. And so oftentimes people can't do the things you're asking them to do, unlock their souls or name their emotions because nobody's ever done that for them, which is really the role of a therapist. How do I create that in a safety enough place so that you can explore all the things that have been armored for whatever reason? Let's unpack that. And then it's yours Mm -hmm. to live if you so choose. And I think it's that almost that permission to not have to know and not because the the people that we serve know. And so how do we be Mm -hmm. the conduits, the segue, the, you know, um, really sort of showing that there are no bad parts. Let's feel it all. That's I love what you said about that before. I know I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get to it, but um, something that really, really, I think people need to realize if we come into the world with interactions, viewing people as good or bad, 
if we look at our kids as manipulative, annoying, frustrating, pieces of, you know, whatever word you like to put in there, you're going to interact with them that way. Now, does it mean that my daughter is not annoying sometimes? Yeah, this morning my car broke down and I had to transfer from to another car and she was taking her sweet time and it was really getting under my skin because I had an appointment to go to and I had, a, you know, I had to go to the bathroom and I also had to eat right before my session. It was annoying. It was annoying, but she is not annoying. Yeah. Right? So if we as a society stop looking at people and saying, oh my gosh, these people are bad. I just saw a TikTok video of a research study where they took – uh, they rented out a movie theater and filled it with bikers with tattoos and, you know, you know, spikes and all the stuff that looks like, quote unquote, bad people yeah. and had and there were only two seats left in the entire movie theater. And they had a couple come for like movie night to see who would actually sit down versus who goes, uh-uh, we're leaving. And only one couple was able to sit down out of I think it was 30 or 35 couples. No. Yeah. They, wow. showed, they showed they showed only five couples and you see like the guys like pulling the girl out of like, no, 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 no. We're not sitting down. And when the couple actually sat down, the entire movie theater erupts and they have beer and they have a dance party <laughs> because they finally didn't judge people because of how they look based on being bad people. Yeah. Everybody's right? got a story. Everyone has yeah. a story. It doesn't make them a bad person. I remember I used to work in the psych unit. I, I interned in the psych unit for a while, and that was a huge shift that I had to take when it comes to mental health, especially severe mental health of schizophrenia and bipolar with delusions, hallucinations, maybe dangerous sometimes behavior and actions based on that mental health symptoms. And my supervisor's like, remember, they're not bad. They're just suffering. And I was like, what? Oh, my gosh. We didn't learn that in a textbook. Where well, was that? Right? It was an experience. I think Brene Brown said this. People are hard to hate close up. Yeah. And I love that. You actually see them and you realize they're human just like you are and you're flawed and your own thing. Uh, it's just so beautiful. And I, I really have one, one last question because I could talk to you forever. You're just so easy to, to talk to. You're so enjoyable to spend time with. And hopefully we get to spend time with in person. They actually get to know each other at some point. Um, if someone's based on the past couple of years, right, we are so afraid now, I feel, to open up that vulnerability and be with ourselves as well as with other people. What are some practical tips someone can do to push past the fear? I know you gave the idea of showing up when you're uncertain and the idea of tell me more. Is there yeah. anything that someone can do when they are the reason why they're going to the exit routes of the phone and the technology and the hiding and the whatever they're doing to escape reality because it's so scary for them or worrisome? How does someone break out of that so it isn't so suffering and isn't so much disconnect and isolation where they can start little by little? How do we show up little by little and push past the fear? Yeah, I think that the thing that sort of gets me out of bed every morning or the, the thing that really always stokes my passion for this work is really to remember that we can't tell anybody how to do it. We have to show them. And the thing that reminds me all the time about, you know, being, you know, in our community or being a parent is that. I can't tell my kids how to be great, right? I can't tell them how to chase their dreams or be successful, start a company, um, you know, be kind, be an ally, whatever that looks like. I have to show you. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to just do that. If, if I can't do it for me, uh, those three little faces inspire me every single day. So mm -hmm. I want you to think about whoever, whatever is, is your people. Who, who do you want to make proud? And they don't even need to be on this planet. 
right? They can be somebody that's no longer here, but who would you like to make the most proud? Mm -hmm. And when I think about that, then I think, can I do the next best right kind thing? Can I give somebody a compliment? Can I um, say to my kids, no, 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 that's not how we talk about things. No, Mm -hmm. no, 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 no. Come here. Let's try this one more time. Mm -hmm. Yes. Now, the other thing in that, at the same time, I got to give myself great grace because I'm going to fuck it up Mm -hmm. 70% of the time right? It's okay to not feel like you want to hang out with your kid. It's okay to want to be at work instead. It's okay to like not learn about the next TikTok or Minecraft video because you're like, are you freaking kidding me right now? All of those things, I think. So that's this beautiful balance between really never underestimating your power, Mm -hmm. but giving yourself as much grace as you can because Mm -hmm. you're doing way better than you think you are. Whew, I love that because, uh, you know, I think it's su- super important to have that drive and that, that thing that pushes you as well as like be a lot more grace with ourselves, mm. know that we can make mistakes and allow ourselves to make mistakes as well as know that there's a moment right afterwards. I spoke about this recently on, on social media. Um, so my chronic illness has been acting up recently, uh, whatever medication, insurance, moving. It was just a lot of stuff and I felt so out of it and not myself and disconnected from everyone because I was hiding. I didn't feel well. I was just trying to just reserve my energy for my work and then hide. Yeah. And I had a moment where I was able to go in the pool because, you know, it's hot here in Vegas. It was probably 180 billion degrees. And we were in the pool, my daughter and my son swimming together. And my wife took a picture of the three of us. And I was looking at the picture later because she shared it with me. And she's like, it's such a cute picture of the three of you. It's so nice. And I said, small moment, such a small moment of feeling connected that makes me feel like today was not worthless or today was a waste or today was a suck because of how I felt or what I did earlier or my argument with this person or my, you know, struggle with this or my not feeling enough there or my not feeling enough here. In those small moments, we have so much control over creating that. We might not have control over the big things that happened to us, like my car breaking down this morning, but I have a power to make a small moment later today to kind of counteract that and fulfill some little bit that makes me feel or adds just that moment that I need to feel connected. Um, so, you know, I really just want to thank you for your work because, you know, you talked about before social media, we people, we, we follow people for certain reasons and you are making such a difference in so many people's lives. I don't know if you needed affirmations today, but here we go. Um, uh, and I really you. just means a lot that you said, yes, you are a groundbreaker and someone who's writing beautiful books. And I cannot wait to get a copy of Feeling Seen um, because we all want that. We all deserve it and we all need it. So thank you so much for being on the show today. It really means a lot. Thank you for having me. I can't wait to see you in person, hopefully someday soon. Okay. All the best. You too. Thank you so much to listening to this week's episode of The Dude Therapist. And it only is happening because of you, the listeners, tuning in every week, even twice a week, to this show all about mental health, relationships, and wellness topics. And really, let's be honest, everything in between. And I'm so excited to show up every time and having great guests. So thank you. And if you have any questions, concerns, ideas, collaborations, email me at thedudetherapist at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram at thedudetherapist. Let me know what you're thinking. Let me know your ideas. I can't wait to hear from you. And if you can go along, subscribe, rate, 
review on all the streaming sites that you're listening on. I truly appreciate it because that's what makes this thing happen. So thanks for tuning in this week and see you next time on the Dude Therapist podcast. We've got more guests and more great content coming your way.